0: Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctailable.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Calvary Baptist. I'm glad that you have joined us uh, here in person. It's great to see your faces. Those of you joining us online, live stream, thank you for being a part of that this morning. And we've just already experienced some. Uh, just a great time of worship, and I'm, I'm really glad you were able to be a part of that today. And uh, I think, I think hope that'll take you through this next week in just a very special manner. I want to do something kind of as we get beginning. I just want to, I guess, a word of commendation, a word of thanks to you as a church. Uh, part of our Easter um, festivities, if you would, this past few weeks, is we uh, adopted one of our local schools, and we asked you to... Uh, to bring supplies for the kids and also for the teachers. We collected them and then we took a Saturday and kind of put all those, bu- those bags and boxes together. Uh, then we also, for the teachers and all the workers in the school, we gave them a kind of a token of appreciation, a gift card, and uh, they were delivered this past week. And I've already got a stack of thank you cards. So I wanna just, uh, just for all of you who are involved, thank you for all that you did. It's a great help, but let me just read a couple of the cards to you because I think it'll make sense. Dear Calvary friends, To say we are grateful is an understatement. Your generosity to our entire staff has truly touched my heart. We appreciate your kindness and dedication to helping others. Sincerely, Karen Kutzman, Principal at North School. Uh, One other I wanted to share with you. Thank you, thank you. You will never know how much your thoughtfulness is appreciated. It's been such a trying year for everyone, and the teachers and the students are no exception. All of the teachers were so excited to get their boxes of much-needed supplies. The kids also loved getting their bags because by the time this school of uh, this school year, the pencils are running low and the crayons are lost or broken. <laughs> the gift cards for all of the staff was so encouraging everyone was thankful for the kind gesture and that's from the staff and the students of North school. So give yourselves a hand today, Calvary. Thank you for being a part of that. I think we're on to something I think just uh, we, we just want them to know that we care about them and we're glad for what they do and we know that they have a very uh, very important job. And so uh, I think we would like to do that. I, I can see us doing that once or twice a year in local schools around, just showing the teachers and the students how much we care. So it's a great start and thank you for being a, a part of that. And as I said, that was part of kind of our Easter celebration, some things we did during this, this season. Another thing that we've done, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been talking about two specific words. The words are for freedom. When we looked at what that means, in fact, our, our verse that we have I encourage you to memorize, just a part of it at least, would, would you say it with me? Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1, let's say it together. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that's for freedom is the idea of where we've been looking at. Uh, we all want this freedom. We, we want to experience that, that understanding. Jesus says we can be free. Uh, and he went to, to do that; he actually paid the price for our freedom when he gave his life on the cross and then, as we celebrated so excitedly last week, uh, he confirmed that when he rose from the grave and so kind of today we 're kind of afterglow mood as just thinking about Easter, but really, every Sunday is a celebration of resurrection for us as we remember what he did but we 're still kind of thinking back of, of what he did in, in reminding us of his power and so today we 're actually going to pick up the, the, the account of Jesus right where we left off last Sunday. But before I get there, let me just share a, a story. Some of you may have heard this. Uh, actually happened several years ago, 2007. Um, there was a Washington Post writer that uh, put together a, a very interesting experience uh, experiment. His name was Weingarten. And what he did was he secured the, uh, the services of a Grammy-winning violin virtuoso, literally. His name was Josh Bell. And Josh Bell had been, he'd been filling out, uh, filling up, sold out concerts and theaters all across major cities uh, f- around the world, literally, and high price tickets. I mean, this was, he, he's a phenomenal player. But on this day in January, early in the morning, uh, Josh Bell, and here's a picture of him at the event, uh, he put on blue jeans and a T-shirt and a ball cap and he went down into the entrance to one of the subways in Washington, D.C. He took his, his violin case, he set it down in front of him, and then he pulled out of the case his, catch this, $3.5 million Stradivarius, and that's by all accounts, can you imagine? Anyway, he pulls that out, and he begins to play there in that that entrance. Now, that, and it's for the, he played six pieces just uh, flawlessly, just as he does in concert, as if you were there. He did it in a beautiful fashion. You can, you can listen to it. It's a wonderful piece to, to watch. But what was interesting was, and you can watch it on the, on the video, they, they counted 1,097 people walked past him that day as he played. 43 minutes and 1,097 people walked past. But what was interesting was, of those, only seven people actually stopped for more than a minute to hear this, this phenomenal player in action. 27 people stopped a, a little bit enough to throw money into his violin case. He actually earned $32 that morning. Um, 20 of them from one person who recognized him from a previous concert. But at $32, 43 minutes, and and he, all of these, and it, it's interesting. That means that 1,070 people walked past him. Some within you can see as close as about three foot away, and were seemed to be oblivious to everything that was going on, or at least didn't have the time to participate. They were that, uh, there were some social implications. The writer won actually a Pulitzer for what he wrote about the events of that day. But the thing that just intrigued me is they were that close to greatness and they missed it. Or they were just so busy, so oblivious that they just did not participate in the opportunity of what was right in front of them. Now, that didn't stop the music, Just because no one responded, the music went on. It still filled the house. The music was there, but some people missed the opportunity to truly enjoy that experience. Here's what I want us to think about. It is possible that we could be near in the presence of something great and just not be aware of it. Something amazing and it just kind of misses us. It goes goes right by us. Could it be, think about this with me, that every day of your life, every moment there is something greater happening around you, and I would suggest to you that that's exactly what's going on. The events around us, whether they're big events, notable, or some of those more those less noticeable things that happen in our life, um, they're, they're not just haphazard. Just things. Hap- there, their intentionality of them is incredible, and and yet it's also not as some people suggest that it kind of like a uh, some impersonal force out there just kind of moving cosmic chess pieces around the board. It's different than that. There is a personal God who cares about you, who is literally orchestrating, and I use that, that word on purpose, orchestrating events around you for a, for a reason. He wants you to know him, and he's doing things around you to make that possible. He's literally putting this masterful symphony on around us at any time and Sometimes we just don't seem to be aware of what God is actually doing. Now, some of you would say, well, sure, in my head, I know that's true. Especially if you've been in church, theologically, we know that that's true, that God's always working. But are we personally seeing that? Are we personally aware of what and being involved in what God is doing around us? Here's the thing that every day, I I believe every week when we come here on a Sunday, I say it and I believe with all my heart. No one is here on accident. Whether you're here in person, you're watching this online, this wasn't an accident that, you, that you're in this place today. God is, is working. There is, and, and the fact that we literally were in a concert today of, of just praise to God, all of those things are, are powerful and I don't want to ever miss those, but it's bigger than a church service. It's even bigger than, and I love to do this, it's bigger than setting out in nature, which is a wonderful thing to do, and just kind of appreciating the glory and the beauty of God. That's a wonderful thing, and that's a great thing for us to do, but it's bigger than that. What I'm talking about is every, every event, every moment in your life, the things around you, God is, is working. Even the things working in us, those cravings that you have is the things we've been talking about. You want that freedom You want to see yourself free from from guilt or for fear or from addiction or from uh, those those anxieties. You want to see that. There's a craving in there. The the frustrations that we feel sometimes, the longing that we have for some kind of spiritual breakthrough in our life. Could could I just suggest to you that that even those things that you're feeling is God's working in you that God is doing something to to get your attention, to draw you to himself. He's wanting you to see him and and to know him, all part of God's work for you to recognize who he is and give him glory. Even even the questions that you bring, the the hesitations and the frustrations sometimes we have of of those uncertainties that we've talked about and those things that just don't make sense, like the song we just sang, all of these, these seasons that we go through, could it be possible that God through those things is teaching us, he's growing us, he's wanting us to see him in a real and a tangible way in our lives. Could it be that God is performing a concert right around you and you might not be aware of it? Today, I wanna to pick us up where we said last, from last week, Luke chapter number 24. We'll pick up the story right where the resurrection that we talked about last week left off. Mary's has gone back to the, the disciples and here's how Luke records it. When they, in verse 10 of Luke 24, tells us who that they are. That's Mary Magdalene and the others, the women that were with her. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It's Resurrection Sunday. Mary and the ladies have been to the tomb. They, they see Jesus. They run back to the disciples. And not just the 11, the apostles. It makes it clear that it's a, it's a larger grouping now. It's those 11 plus many of the other disciples that have been followers. They're in this room gathered. And we know from last week what she said. I have seen the Lord. Remember? That's just a, a clear testimony. That had to be a great party, right? This is exciting what Mary has seen. All the things she's, she's been a part of. Greatest news ever. But, verse number 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Your verse, version may say it seemed like idle tales. When they heard what the women said, they, they thought it was just a big story. Just some hysterical, uh, just output from these, these women on, on this very emotional day. And you can kind of, in my opinion, you can almost see the, you know, the air coming out of the wah, wah, wah. And they come with this excitement and they just don't believe them. Here's what I, I want us to talk about today. What we're gonna read in this next several verses, and we're gonna kinda of unpack this this very powerful story. It's I think one of the most vivid, insightful, uh accounts of Jesus showing himself to his disciples after his resurrection and making that a visible and, and Luke is the only one of the four gospels that actually records this particular event. And what he does is he's going to give us a, a glimpse into human nature, who we are, But he's also going to show what it means to know who God is and how God reveals himself to them and how he wants people to know him better. It's it's a wonderful account that we're going to look at. And and I give this passage a a title that I think just makes sense. Here's what I would call it. This is an unforgettable walk. I don't know if you like just taking taking walks. Some of us like it more than others, maybe by yourself, maybe with a friend or your spouse. But just, I want you to consider what we're talking about. This is going to be a walk, and it's both literal, and I think it has spiritual uh, symbolism as well. Literally, Jesus and a couple of disciples are going to take a walk, almost seven miles, we're going to find out, a couple of hours. They're going to be walking together. That's quite a journey, but it also has this spiritual understanding of a walk, of a journey. And I think even looking forward to what our lives with him are meant to look like, is this journey with him. And in this journey, he's going to show himself who he is so that it's recognizable. He's going to, to make sure that it's clear about, his, about what, what he has come to do. And he's also going to then show them what they need to do about it and how that they need to take that and share that with others. It's an unforgettable walk. Let, let's pick up the story. Verse 13. Now that same day, that would be the resurrection day, that would be Sunday that Jesus raises again. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And that's how this interesting scenario begins. But here's what I'd like us to do today, if you can, with imagination, however you want to look at it, but let's put ourselves in that walk today. Let's imagine ourselves taking this walk along, and, and it's as if we're walking with a friend, and this friend happens to be Jesus, and, and what, is we, what are we going to learn? What is he going to show us as we take this walk? What did these guys learn, and what can we learn from what's going to happen? First thing that I want you to see is Jesus can, comes to us. It's very, did you notice the, the way that that was written? These two disciples are walking. And, it's, and this would have not been odd because they all that's their, that was their mode of transportation, walking. And along comes this other one who just kind of joins in on the conversation, joins in. They're, they've been having this talk and these questions, and Jesus just kind of comes in and, and talks with them. Here's what we know. They're, both of these were there. They, they, we'll find out later. They were there in the room when Mary and the others came back. They brought the news. They had heard that. Now they're walking back to We'll assume it's their home, Emmaus. They're, they're going back on this journey. That's their destination. And Jesus just, just walks up into their conversation. And we know one of his names, Cleopas. That's what we'll find out. And there's an unnamed traveler. Could be his wife. Could have been another one of uh, the other disciples. But they seem to be traveling back to their, to their home place. And Jesus just casually joins them on this walk. But did you notice the end of that verse, verse 16, they were kept from recognizing him. Now, remember, these are ones that had been disciples. At some point, they had joined the journey of Jesus in his three years. At some point, they were along. So they knew who Jesus was. They knew, they, they knew his, his, but they, they didn't recognize him. They were, they were unable to see him. And, and there's theories of, about some of that, but something that we, I, I think is very interesting is that they knew a lot about him. And they'd heard him speak, and they'd heard him even talk about these last 72 hours, but they were unable to recognize him. But something that we talked about, even from the Josh Bell story, and this is something I want you to make sure you get, our awareness of God does not affect the presence of God. Please understand, just because you don't feel God or you don't think he's there doesn't mean he's not. And they're looking God in the face. They're looking Jesus in the face, did not recognize him, but that doesn't change the fact that he was there with them. So, so please understand, and this should be comforting as well as challenging, that when we're walking this journey, just because we're not feeling that or we're not recognizing it, Jesus is there, and that's what he, he makes it very clear. But the, the language of this, that phrase seems to suggest that in some way, Jesus was intentionally keeping them from seeing it seems to indicate that, that there were, so my mind goes, this is where I'm thinking of Clark Kent in the glasses, okay? That's, that's where my, Jesus wearing a mustache. I don't know. I, it was probably more spiritual than that. I, I get it. But somehow, he literally was, was in some way keeping them from the, his true identity, his reality. And he wasn't being cruel. He wasn't playing a trick. He wasn't try, he, but what we're going to see as this unfolds is there were things that they did not yet grasp, understand, believe about him, And he's going to begin to gradually unfold that for them, to unpack that truth so that they know truths about God and promises about Jesus himself and what he has done. I mean, they've heard most of these things before, but so far it hasn't sunk in yet. And so he's going to use this process to begin to help them to understand, which he does in our journey as well. He uses this process to help us to grow. The the next few verses begin to explain kind of, what some of their problems were, why this was so hard for them to recognize. Let me read it, verse 17. So Jesus asked them, so what are you discussing together as you walk along? And this version says they stood still, their faces downcast. They stopped and they, they had this, this look. The King James suggests that he kind of came up to them and said, hey, why the long faces, guys? Why the sadness? Why, what, what is, what's troubling you? And verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas asked him, and I love the way he puts it, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here on these days? <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Because if anybody knew what happened in the last three days, Jesus was right in the middle of all of it. So they're asking, and again, they, they're seeing him, but they're, they're not seeing him. So Jesus says, what things? They said about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. He began to describe what they know of Jesus. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And then verse 20, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. That's the facts. That's what has happened. He was a great prophet and they, they, they killed him. But the next verse describes why they had such angst. Verse 20, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Why was their vision blurred? Why were they still having trouble recognizing him? Well, one thing that Jesus knew was things did not go as they expected, and that bothered them. You could very simply say it this way, God did not do things the way they thought he should have done them, and that bothered them. I mean, they had their preconceived ideas of what the Messiah was supposed to do. They had they had thought through when they're thinking of the Messiah and he, that he was coming to redeem Israel. Well, to redeem Israel to them meant uh, social, political uh, recovery. They were going to get their country back, their pride back. He was going to take over the Romans so that they could have their, that. That's by redeeming Israel. That's what they thought of in their minds. That's where where they went to and all this. So when Jesus hangs and dies on a cross and he's buried, it's all a failure. And whether they were saved or not, do you get, do you you're starting to feel they were disappointed in Jesus. Disappointed in God. Now, we may never say that out loud, but do we ever feel that? Something's not going the way we anticipated, the way we thought, and we just kind of get disappointed. God, you let me down. Jesus, it's not going the way I think, and I, I'm disappointed in your reactions. Here's what we got to remember, folks. God always has a plan we're just not always privy to how that plan is going to work. And when it doesn't go the way we think it should go, we tend to get a little upset. We get to, tend to become uh, uh, and, and unexpected, even to say, don't you even know what's happening in these things? When, when things don't turn out the way we expect, rather than get frustrated and upset, this is what we need to remember to do is, I, I, I know that God is doing something I just don't understand but I know that he's working. Here's a question I want to ask. Do I trust God enough to do what's best even when I think I could do it better? Do I trust God enough that he knows what's best even when I think that's probably not the right move, God, but I'm gonna gonna trust you because I know who you are. The verse goes on to say, verse 21, and what's more, the third day, this is the third day since all this took place. You want to add on to that, not only were they disappointed, but now it's final. It's been three days. He's dead. There's nothing that's going to happen that's going to change that. That's the, the mood that they're, they're setting, which leads to another important understanding of why sometimes we have trouble seeing, recognizing, we want it done on our way, but they also had trouble just simply believing in him. Their problem was they refused to believe in spite of the fact that there were some incredibly strong proofs of why they they should believe. Their their faith was was deficient, but yet it's interesting that there were some real reasons why they should have been excited. Listen to these next verses, verse 22. They go on to say, this is their record. In addition, some of our women amazed us, astonished us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find the body. That should be exciting. But we already know what their response was, right? Nonsense. That can't happen. Idle tales. These are just stories from these women. And and they go on to say, and then they came and they told us what they, they had seen, visions of angels. Who said he was alive? Are you, are you seeing what they're, they're actually, the more they talk, the more they're indicting themselves and in their lack of faith because they said, these women who we've trusted, they've been a part of our, they came with a reliable sources. They said the body's gone. Ah, nonsense. And then they talk to angels. Those are heavenly, supernatural things. Oh, that doesn't ma- doesn't happen, right? Keep reading. Verse 24, then some of our companions, the other Gospels tell us their, their names were Peter and John. These other companions, they went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Peter and John, they're giving testimony. The women give testimony. The angels are talking about it, but we're choosing not to believe it. That's some pretty heavy proofs, and yet they choose not. What, what is it? The, the point that, that, that they're trying to, to explain is there's no reason to believe because this idea of resurrection was outside of their box. Of reality outside of their box of thinking. An author, Philip Ryken, said it this way. These disciples have basically all the facts they need about the cross, the empty tomb, including the witness of the apostles. But in their confusion, it did not yet add up to good news. And his point was this. It's, it was like hearing the punchline without getting the joke you ever had that? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Somebody gives a story, and they're all out, and you go, I don't get it. I don't understand it, right? But That's the point. They're hearing resurrection. They're seeing resurrection right in front of them, but they're not connecting the dots. It makes no sense to them, to the way that they're thinking, what they think should happen. It's not making any sense. And look at how Jesus responds, verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. There is a sense of rebuke here in one sense of, of what, why you won't believe, but there's also that it, you can almost hear this, this sadness. Like, guys, you're dull of hearing, that's one, your perception's off. How many proofs do you need? I mean, these are guys you trust telling you this. How many proofs are you going to need? And then, but then he says you're slow, you're slow to believe. It literally means you're dull of heart. It's not just your perception that's off. Inside, you're feeling, you're knowing that there's something moving, but you're just refusing to let it be true you 're refusing to let it be valid in our your your life but man I, I know that I make the same mistake I know that i, I I, I tend to, to see things from a, from a perspective of that just can't be the right way to go. Or I see God doing something and, and it just it can't be God. It's, not, it's too big. It's not the way in my mind that things should be going. And it's hard for me to accept that as truth. God may use natural means to accomplish things, but he often uses things that we can't explain so that when it's all done, we have no one to give glory to but God. But that's hard for us to grasp. It's outside of this box of our understanding. Here's what we know about these disciples. They knew about Jesus, but it seems that they didn't really know Jesus. They were seeing Jesus right there in the face, but they were not seeing who he really was, and so they weren't able to recognize him. I I, want to share with you that there... There's a difference between knowing about Jesus here and knowing Jesus here. Huge difference. And it's very important that you recognize that. I would say most of you in this room know him here. But is it possible, those of you here watching online, that you still do not know him in your heart, you, you don't know who he is personally. You're not, you're not aware, and, and that's the point. We know who he is, in, in, but do we recognize him? Would we recognize him if he was standing in front of us? We heard about him. We've even talked about him. We use his name. We, we know Jesus, but do we know Jesus? Which leads us to this The next thought as the conversation continues. Jesus then opens our eyes to truth but I want you to see how Jesus does this in this particular instance. It, it seems logical to me that Jesus wants them to see him, so why not just show them the scars? You know, here's, here's my feet, here's my hands, here's, here's the side. He'll, he'll do that later. So it's not that he's above doing that, but he chooses to do it differently. In fact, as we finish at verse 25, we started a minute ago, how foolish you are, how slow to believe, but it continues. You're slow to believe all or slow to believe everything that the prophets have spoken. In other words, gentlemen, this problem, or gentlemen and ladies, if it was his wife, these, this problem is more than something that goes back further than just these last 72 hours. There, there's, there's truth that has been given to you that has been around for a long time, and you're, you're, having, you're struggling to, to grab that. In verse 26, he says, Did not the Messiah have to suffer? Literally, was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and then enter into his his glory? Let's think back for a moment. Jesus, in this three-year journey, which they would have been a part of at some point, he told his disciples repeatedly, about his coming death and resurrection. He had told he wasn't he, he wasn't secretive about that. They, they had heard that, and, and he even he even showed them how that this was all part of what God's plan was. So it wasn't that they hadn't heard it, it wasn't that it hadn't been given to them and interpreted. They just had chosen at that point to look at it differently. The religious leaders then, Jewish and the, even these Jewish followers like these, these two disciples. The problem was when they saw the Messiah, what they saw was glory, what they saw was victory. But the Bible was really clear that the Messiah's path was going to have to go through suffering. He was going to have to not only come in victory, he was going to, his victory was going to come as he saved the world from their sins. They had part of the picture, but they weren't, they weren't willing to see all of it. And so here's how Jesus opens their eyes. Look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Okay, so we're having a walk with Jesus, and we're, we're talking with him, and here's what Jesus then does. He opens up the Bible and begins to explain himself through the words of Scripture. Do you get what the, they're having a two-hour Bible study with Jesus? It's pretty cool, right? They're walking with Jesus. He's explaining. We don't know exactly what Scriptures he used. The Bible doesn't tell us that. And there are many, many that you could choose from because the Old Testament was pointing to his coming, I, I've actually put on your outline a few suggestions that you can you can look at later of maybe some places that he might have used. Let me throw out a couple this morning. Deuteronomy 19, 18, which was, as he said, written by Moses. Here's what Moses said. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, and you must listen to him. I've been introduced, and Moses would be the one that said, I'm coming, so listen to the Messiah. Isaiah, which is one of the great prophets, had said, and we know in chapter 7 about that he will, uh, the Lord himself will give a sign and we talk about the virgin and will conceive and bring forth a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. Oh, this is all making sense now. We're starting to see how this was all part of it. That part maybe wasn't as hard as what Isaiah goes on to say in chapter 53 when he talks about this same Messiah who's coming as Emmanuel. But in verse number 3, he says he will be despised and rejected. He will suffer great pain. People will hide their faces from him as despised. Verse 7 says he's oppressed and afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb going to slaughter without saying anything. And then verse number 11, he also says, and after he has suffered, after he has died, he will, we will see the, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. He tells them, this is why I have come. I'm coming, and, but the suffering will be there to take away the sins of the world. And I will suffer, but I will re- be raised back to life. All of that's been said hundreds of years before they were there and they knew it. They had studied it. They were privy to it. Jesus had explained all of this to him that, that I part of why I came was to suffer, to do what has happened these last 72 hours, to bring you life. All, and he's just explaining all of this revelation of the Old Testament to them. In fact, John uh, chapter 5, Jesus had earlier said, if you believed Moses, which they did, you would believe me for he, Moses, wrote about me. This Old Testament is a picture of what of leading to who Jesus was, and he just that's how he's opening their eyes, using the scriptures to show them who he really really was. I read this quote this week. Warren Wiersbe said, "The key to understanding the Bible is to see Jesus on every page." That as you read the scriptures, you read the Old Testament, I'm not, I'm not sure. All of that is telling the story, leading to who Jesus was and what Jesus is going to do. He is, he's the, the, the people that may try to tell you who Jesus is, some folks may say, well, Jesus is, was a great prophet, a teacher. He is one of many ways to heaven. But, but understand, Jesus pointed out to us that if you really want to know who he is, here's your source the scripture is your source. Old through the New Testament, you want to know who Jesus is, he gives us this, which makes this book even more important. It's so important we understand it that, that this is God's word. It's not parts of it are God's word and there's a, this is God's word to us because on every page we see Jesus who came just as these guys were being taught. And if this book is in untrustworthy in one part, then it could be untrustworthy in other parts as well. Understand, this is God's truth. It's not just a a religious book. This is God's revelation of who he is and what he wants us to know about him. And by knowing his truth, we also then can can begin to have faith in who he is and what he has done for us. Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, So basically to wrap it up, here's what we're saying. The truth of scripture about Jesus leads us to personal faith in Jesus. As you understand what he said in the scripture about who he is and what he has done, then you are able to then have truth, faith in what he has come to do for us, for the world. And that's what Jesus is doing as he's explaining the scriptures. Jesus had actually already said in John chapter 8, verse 31, he said this, if you abide in my word, now that word abide uh, depending on your version, depending on how it, it means to stay, to dwell, to, to live in, to, uh, uh, to remain in. He says, if you live in my word, look what he says. You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and finish it for me, and the truth will set you free. You've heard that, right? Probably got a poster like that in your room somewhere or on your coffee mug. The truth will set you free. But do you understand what that says? The truth is what God has said. His word is the truth. You live in this word. You remain in this truth, and this truth will set you free. For freedom, Christ came to set us free, and this freedom is found in the truth that he he has given to us. So this seven-mile journey is coming to an end. He's opened their eyes to who he is by looking through the scriptures, reminding them of all that was said about him. And then verse 28 says, and as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After their two-hour Bible study, and my guess is they would have said, wow, where did the time go? How could it, just based on the, what they were learning, and we'll even see that in a little bit, but now they reach... Emmaus, they reach their destination. Um, and and it, the Bible speaks as if Jesus is just preparing to, to keep moving, and, and they urge him, they invite him, they, they say, Please stay with us. Uh, and uh, the way the verse is written, I think that's exactly what Jesus wanted them to say. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't trickery, like Jesus is going, Wow, it's getting late. I wish I had some place to stay in this town. Wish I knew some, but it wasn't like that, it wasn't a scheme. But here's what we got to learn. He was willing and he wanted to take this deeper, but he wasn't going to come until he was invited to stay. And I think that's an important issue for us to understand. In fact, I'll put it that way. Jesus stays where he is invited. Seven-mile journey, two-hour Bible study had to be fantastic, but Jesus wants it to go deeper. He wants their relationship to be even greater, but he's not going to force himself into that relationship. He is, he is anticipating and, and awaiting their arrival. But that, I think it's interesting, Luke uses a word that we just read. He said, they asked him to stay with us, and he stayed with them. That's the same word that we read just earlier when Jesus said, if you abide, if you stay in my word... Now he's looking at this picture as if you stay with me. So we're talking about you stay in his word, you stay in his presence. That's what God is looking for. That's what this incredible walk, this journey is all about. The journey has really just begun here because now we're, we're, we've heard the word. We're starting to understand it. The, the, the lights are start, starting to come on, and now Jesus is with us, but he will not force himself into that situation. He, it, it reminds me of a description John gave of Jesus, Revelation chapter number 3. Jesus pictured standing out, standing outside of a door, and there are, there, there's an individual people, a church in this case, inside, and Jesus knocks waiting to be invited in. And, and it's a, it, the verse reads this way, "Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, eat with that person, and they with me. Uh, that verse I think pertains to both groups of people, those who, are followers of Christ, believers, and those who have yet to step across that line of faith. If you're here listening or, or in the room and you've not yet received that gift of salvation, which you, and, and yet you wonder why you're here today, or you're, you're questioning things going on in your life, or you've got this craving, you know something's missing, or you're, you're looking for answers, or they're wanting this freedom, do you know what that is? That's Jesus knocking on your heart saying, I want to come in, but you've got to open the door. He's not going to blast the door down. He's waiting for that. in. Or for, for us as believers, we know that he's in our life and we're followers of his. But somewhere along the line, our relationship, has we're not experiencing it the way that we, we used to. And, but yet we're, we're struggling with that and we want to see it better. And, and we see these things in our life and we, we're having trouble finding the purpose and, uh, and we're, we're questioning. And do you know what that is, Christian? Jesus says, listen, I want to come in. And when you open the door, look at the promise. I will come in and I will stay there. Jesus is waiting invitation, but he will come where he is invited and he will stay. That's an incredible promise. So then we know what happens next. Jesus literally reveals himself to them. I mean, those whose eyes have been opened, they begin to understand. Now they're learning who Jesus is, not just... Not just that he's alive, but learning why he went through and what he is, what the part of his, the life that they were understanding. But here's what you're going to find right off the bat, that when Jesus is invited in as a guest to their home, he quickly moves from being a guest to becoming the host. He moves, and that's what he will do in our lives. He moves, we, we invite him in. Jesus, uh, I, here's my life, come in. And when he does, then he sets in the seat of honor. He's, he is the one that's to, to be in charge of the situation. Look how it goes, verse 30. When he was then at the table with them, he's in their house at their table, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. In verse 31, then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared out of their sight. What a great picture of what it is to know Christ. In fact, many of the after-resurrection photos have him in this, this meal setting with his disciples, this understanding of a com- even opening the door and coming in and eating with them. That's the picture that we have of Jesus. But I don't know if there was anything familiar about what, what it was said there, but he said he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. That exact phraseology, that exact timeline has been said at least two other times in the life of Jesus, even in the book of Luke. If you go back to Luke chapter number nine, there are 5,000 plus hungry people that have been sitting there all day waiting for listening, waiting for whatever. And Jesus takes five loaves and the Bible says he took the bread, he gave thanks for it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then Luke chapter 22, the night before Jesus is betrayed, He's in an upper room with some of his closest followers. And at the end of the supper, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, This is my body. You see, there's significance in that terminology because the next verse says, Then their eyes were opened. Then they could see. Jesus brought it full circle. This is why I came. I, I came to show you my power and what I can do, but I came to show you that I came, my body is broken for you. All of these things, he's showing them, this is, this is who I really am. And their eyes are open and they see him and he's come full circle. And then just as soon as they saw him, he disappeared. You go, oh man, that's too bad, but I want you to grab something. That's not a bad thing. The fact that their eyes were no longer in in connection with his physical body doesn't change anything because now they get it. This Jesus who came and died for us will never leave us. He's always here, whether our eyes see it or not. And that's what it should mean for us. John said it this way, "'Blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen.'" That's you and me. 2,000 years later, our eyes haven't physically seen the risen Savior, but our hearts have experienced him. We know he's here, and he'll never leave us. He's walking this journey with us. And they learn from that point on, now we know who this Jesus is. So what does that do? What should that do for us? What does that mean for us? What do we do with this information? Well, if we keep, keep reading the, the, what happens next, Jesus then moves in us on this journey to share what we've experienced, to share what we've seen. Look at verse 32. You can kind of hear the excitement as they say they asked each other. The two were not our hearts burning within us, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. We, we've. We experienced something on that road, and we knew it, but we couldn't put our finger on it. There was something, and our hearts were burning as we were learning, and now we know it was all Jesus teaching us all of this uncertainty, all these things. It was Jesus all along. We just weren't aware of it. We were sitting in the concert hall not knowing that he was playing for us, right? And now we get it. He was all of these things. He was teaching us. And, they, and, and now to, what do we do with this? Well, look what they did in verse 33. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. Now, that's a very simple phrase, except don't forget, this was at night now. And this wasn't a car with headlights. These are walking. And my guess is they made that seven-mile trip a lot faster than they made the first one. But they run again, seven miles back to Jerusalem, the two of them. They go to the room where the disciples are meeting. They found them. The disciples are rejoicing about the Lord being risen. And then verse 35 then the two of them said, hey guys, we got a story for you. And they told them what happened on the way. They told them about their journey, how Jesus was recognized from them by them when he broke the bread. They couldn't hold it. We got to tell somebody, we've got to share this. And folks, that's the ultimate reaction. If we truly have not only experienced Jesus at a, a one-time event, but if we know who he is and we're growing in that knowledge, at some point, that's not something we can hold on to and, and just keep to ourselves. It's something that has to be shared. In fact, I read this quote. One of the best evidences that we understand the Bible, one of the best evidences that we have met with the living Christ is that we want to share it with somebody else. We want to share it with another believer that, that perhaps is discouraged or we don't even know what they've been through but this is what Jesus who who I know Jesus is and let this strengthen you or someone who's not yet received the gift of salvation. I know this is real. I know you got questions and I don't have all the answers, but I know the answer because he's changed my life and we share that because we have that in our lives. Think about what church would be like if every Sunday, every believer walks into church experiencing what God has done, risen in their life, and being aware of the symphony going around them and sharing that with someone else. This is what Jesus did for me. You take, here's my challenge to you. Take a walk this week with Jesus, literally. Take a walk, maybe you, maybe you and your, your a friend or your spouse, and don't talk about the weather and football. Those are all exciting things, but we're talking about something even more important. Talk about what, who Jesus is. Maybe talk about your questions. Maybe you lift up your frustrations to God. God, I don't understand this. This isn't what I thought it should happen. I'm not sure I have enough faith for all of this, but just have this conversation. Talk and walk with him because he wants to hear from you. What an incredible, incredible walk this happened to be for them. So here's my question. Do you know this Jesus who we're talking about? Again, not up here. Do you, I, don't, I didn't have to, you know about him. Do you know him? Has there been a point in your life when you recognize that that as a sinner, I needed a savior? And I get it, Jesus died on the cross. My My eyes are opening now. I see that all of that was because he loved me. Have you received his gift of salvation that washes away your sins and makes you one of his children? Do you know that today? As you come to know that truth, sometimes in our life we find that the farther we get away from our moment of, Realization we we tend to lose that, that excitement that we had. Maybe it's about have I forgotten just how amazing it is that I'm in a concert by the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, and his symphony is going all around me, and I'm a part of it. And I gotta tell somebody about it this week. Do you know Jesus? Have you experienced his eternal life? And are you taking what he's done and sharing that with someone? Would you bow your heads with me, please, this morning? What are you going to do with Jesus this morning and what you've heard about him? If you you would hesitate or not be sure of, or just know for certain, I, I don't truly know Jesus personally as my savior, then my question to you this morning is, would you receive him today? Today could be the day that changes your life forever. Would you accept his gift and say, Jesus, I get it. I know that that was for my sins that you died and you rose again. I believe that and I ask you, forgive me. I want to know you. I want to know what this freedom is all about. I recognize you've been working. Please save me today. Would you do that? Christians, I don't know what God's word did for you today. Maybe it was God meant it to encourage you, to strengthen you in in a tough road, or maybe to challenge you just to keep going or even to challenge you to share what God has done with you with someone else. Maybe there's even a name that's going through your mind. Let's spend the next few moments together talking about these things that he's speaking to us about today. Father, thank you for what you've done and what you've taught us. Thank you, Lord, that you want to just walk this journey with us. So I pray that a lot of us in this room will physically do that this week. We will take an intentional journey to talk to you, to speak with you, to talk, and and just to enrich that relationship. But Father, if there is one in this room or watching online who has yet to receive your gift of salvation, please let them know this was for them. You died and rose again for their salvation and helped them to, to commit their lives to follow you, to believe in you, to repent of their sins and to become one of your children. God, please, I'll give you just a few seconds to let this kind of roll around in your mind and you speak it to Jesus. But if you're here this morning, you have questions about what it means to know him. Or maybe today, right now, you're praying, God, save me. God, forgive me. God, come into my life. Please let us know. Please let me know. I'd love to to pray with you. I'd love to help you understand what that looks like. And take your next steps. You can come see me right after this service. You can mark it on your card. You can put it in the comments if you're watching online, but we would love to help you know what that means to be a follower of Jesus. But for all of us in the room and watching, let's just take the next few seconds and let's let's commit what we've heard to the Lord, whatever God is saying to us this morning.